at South Bank Broadbeach, Cullen Bay. As Aussies wake to meet the day, they tune their dial to Macca. Good morning, Macca. I'm Luciano from Mitigon. Hello, Luciano. How are you? Long time no talk to you. Yeah, I know, I know, Ian, I know. But Ladies and gentlemen, this is Luciano from Mitigong, New South Wales. And I first met Luciano when he rang one morning many years ago and he says, G'day, Macca. The words were, today I'm getting an Aussie. It was Australia Day and it was getting naturalised and I've never forgotten it. I have so many things to tell you about the beautiful preschool in Italy and what I'm doing there. Well, tell us about it now. I have a beautiful preschool dedicated on memory of Anthony, my boy, then he passed away. So what's happened? 25 years this year. So I'm really involved here and I'm involved with the preschool in Italy. So Luciano, um, we'll have to catch up, mate. You came up the good work and I'll see you in Italy for an outside broadcast at your joint. It'll be nice. I tell you now, it would be fantastic. In the meantime, in and to all your crew, thank you very much for the wonderful program. It's always so interesting and a lot Lovely to listen to all these good Aussie people with all the stories. It's just magic. I'm very proud to be Italian and very proud to be Australian. So I'm very fortunate to have two passports. <laughs> <laughs> ciao, ciao. In the morning, turns my week around. He picks me up when I feel down. Wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. Ooh, it's cold this morning for Nancy's chooks. They're walking dogs. They're writing books. books. As Trevor stacks his bottles by the roadside. On you, Trev. Penturak, T.I., Tumbarumba, at the lodge, and Yarralumla. They might be listening to Macca on a Sunday morning. My week starts with Macca on a Sunday morning. Strangely enough, so does mine. Strangely enough, so does mine. Good morning and welcome to the program. A little poem for you from a bloke called Jack Moses who used to travel around the... Outback. We've been talking about the outback this morning with my guest Rex. You'll meet again. He's still. I couldn't. Get, I can't get rid of him. He's drinking our tea now. He's been in the green room because we have a sumptuous feast, as as you know. No expense spared here in the green room. Here, um, listen to this. If I could put the clock back a score of years or so, I'd seek again the old bush tracks and pals I used to know. I'd light once more the yarn sticks and smoke and yarn with mates where the finger posts are planted beyond the city gates. That's where Rex hangs around beyond the city gates. We'll talk to Rex quickly. Uh, emails from all over. You can email me at um, macatracks at gmail.com um, and you can ring us at 1300 700 Dwayne says, G'day, we're in Birdsville for the bash. It's the big bash on in Birdsville. It's sold out and they're talking of numbers of well over 8,000 people. We've never seen so many caravans and campers in one spot, Rex, they say. The weather here's a cold five degrees, but that's no... Uh, issue when you have three days of live music from great Aussie musicians ahead of you. Regards, Dwayne. Thank you, Dwayne, for keeping us in touch. Uh, Phil Desborough says, and this is about banknotes, uh, I think you'll be interested. Hi, uh, the Corwell collection of Australian banknotes will go under the hammer at the State Library, Sydney, on Thursday, the 2nd of August. He's a collector of, you know, coins and notes, old notes. Private banknotes issued by the banks from the late 1800s begin the auction with notes of various grades and most are rare to extremely rare. The PIC, the PIC New South Wales Treasury Note number 23409 for £1, circa 1893. Gee, wouldn't a quid have been worth a lot of money in 1893? You could have just about bought a house with, with a quid in 1893. 
wonder what we And the London Bank of Australia, one, five, ten, fifty, and a hundred pound specimens. Next to the superscribed notes from nineteen hundred ten to nineteen thirteen, a temporary note issue where unused private bank forms were obtained by the government and then overprinted. Australian note was overprinted on it and backed by gold coin. These notes are generally very rare, and the pick of these would be the Bank of Adelaide, one pound of 1907. The Commonwealth issues from 1913 to 66 has many notes that are simply stunning in both rarity and grading. The thing I like about them when I see them is just the engraving on them, Rex, the way they're just engraved, those lovely old pound notes. Yeah, Yeah, just fantastic. I mean, I wouldn't be paying lots of money. The picks for me are the 1930 10-shilling note. Number six, numbers one, two and three were presented to to the Governor-General's daughter himself and then to his son. This bloke knows his notes, doesn't he? Numbers four and five were for the Prime Minister, Andrew Fisher, whilst number six was won in the ballot by Senator Edward Findlay. The other note is a £10 of 1925, but really the only note missing from the period is the £1,000 note. 10, 20, 50... And hundred-pound notes are there and simply stunning. He said that a couple of times about he loves notes. See, it's mm. like people who collect whatever spoons. Some people collect spoons, don't they? <laughs> the decimal period is fantastic with specimen notes of two one hundred thousand numbered two of one hundred thousand numbered notes and star replacement notes. Two notes of interest are forgeries, a five-pound note from nineteen thirteen and a ten-pound note of nineteen sixty-six. The host for this auction is Noble Numismatics. Other notes cited, I just thought you'd be interested in this, other notes cited because this is what some people do. Other notes cited elsewhere have been a 1933 $10 note printed upside down and a 50 pound note in top grade, though both through avid Australia Rural Labor listeners Andrew Crellin and family in Fremantle, Western Australia. I hope listeners have found this article interesting and thanks for everything, says Phil Desborough. Well, I'm, I think everybody's interesting and Diana quickly says... Hello, Ian. Woke up to a dusting of snow this morning, 22 k's east of Walker. You'll find that on your maps in New South Wales. This is our second fall of snow this winter. Like so many people, we're drought feeding. Christmas dinner is delivered twice a week now to our ship. Our sheep. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Christmas dinner. Oh, this Christmas in July, really, die. Christmas dinner is delivered twice a week now to our sheep and cattle. We had 30 mils over the past week, has greened up the paddocks. We'll be feeding stock till at least November. Hopefully, we may get a Spring bake this year. We're in our fifth year of poor seasons here, says Diana Lyle. Good on you, Di. Uh, good luck. Nice to talk to you. As I said, my uh, we'll talk to you this morning, 1300-700-222. Oh, um, and we'll talk to Rex. Just uh, Rex has got some little things to show us. Rex has been telling me stories of the outback um, this morning. Uh, good day, this is Macca. Yeah, hello, Macca. It's Rob Davey. Good day, Rob. How are you? Not too bad. Where are you? What are you up to, Rob? Well, I work up at uh, Mount Hotham as a ski patroller. A ski patroller? Heading down the coast to go surfing. <laughs> so you're not ski patrolling today. Is there any snow up there? We're, we're at, at, at Hotham, um, Rob? Yeah, we've had snow up there for the last two days. So um, all goes well for the school holidays. We've got lots of people up there skiing on a great base of snow and... Um, yeah, I've been up there on the ski patrol for the last 30 years and took up surfing last year, so every day I get off, I I drive six hours down the coast to go well, surf. Well, you can't go surfing when it's snowing, Rob. It's just not right. You, you'll have to go <laughs> surfing in the summer. You can't do it in the winter, mate. 
Exactly, it's just not right, Macca, but um, I've got the bug and, um, yeah, every chance I get, and it looks like it's going to be good at Walkerville South, down down near um, Envelope Way there, and, um, yeah, I'm in the car now driving down the hill. Rob, how do you grow up? It's like, uh, how do you grow up being a skier? It's like Rex and I have never be in our ken to be skiers. We'd never come near. I wouldn't have seen a ski till I was, you know, twenty five. How do you grow up to be a skier, Rob? Well, I actually didn't start till I was about eighteen. I um, I was a Melbourne worker and went up there one day and loved it so much. I thought, how can I get up here and um ski a bit more cheaper and then someone said why don't you join ski patrol so tried out 30 years ago and was lucky to get on so you just what uh, you called out when somebody comes to grief or you just go patrolling around a place with a little flask of whiskey in your hip pocket or something (laughs) like that is that the story it'd be great that was true no yeah there's about um 15 of us on every day and we're um posted in areas and um yeah, when we get the call that someone's injured, we're um, down there to help them out or, or just general helping out the, um, the, the the public there every day. So, Rob, you've left, you, you're on the road now, are you? I'm on the road now. I'm just past Seymour, so I've got about another two and a half hours drive and hopefully be in the water. What, you uh, wetsuit and all, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. We, we're used to the cold up there, but still got to wear a wetsuit when we get in the water. Yeah. So, Rob, uh, 30 years, that's a long time. And there are a lot of people up there this year? I suppose there is. There is, Macca. And, um, yeah, a little offside that I do up there, I run a darts competition and um, started that darts competition 20 years ago with six teams. And now we have 40 teams and three divisions. Well, that's well. There you go. Darts is yes. It's a, it's a, it's a game that brings everyone together, isn't it, mate? Absolutely. And there's not too many um, group sports you can do up there, as um, in the in the mountains. So um, yeah, the crew love it there. We have 200 people playing darts on a Wednesday night at a few venues, and and it seems pretty easy game, you know. Until the other one. So three. When was it? Three or four months ago, I started playing darts with someone. And like they hit everything but the at the dartboard. I mean, it was dangerous to be around. I mean, it seems a pretty simple game, but for some people, they just yeah, you'd you'd hate to see them with a gun or anything. They're just completely they don't have any focus, Rob. <laughs> well, I tell you what, mate. When when it started, um, we weren't too bad, but now the A division people, uh, you could almost um, put that on TV. They've got so good. The C graders, you've got to watch out. You don't walk past them when they're playing, but the the A graders. Yeah, we get about three hundred people to the grand final. All right, and so, we have yeah. So, sorry, yeah, we have a we have a black tie night, uh, just like the Brownlow. It's called the, and I'm very humbled. The Rob Davy Medal Award, where oh right, people, wow, people pay a hundred bucks to come along, and we do the day count, and someone wins the Rob Davy Medal. Mate, you're a man of many skills. Uh, you're <laughs> off surfing, and when when will you be back at Mount Hotham so people can look you up? Um, surf again tomorrow and then back up and I'll be back yeah, on the slopes working Wednesday through till Sunday. You never know, I might bump into you. Rob, great to talk to you, mate. If anyone's listening and they want to come and say hello at Hotham, we're always there at Ski Patrol. Good on you, Rob. Okay, thanks, Rob. See you, mate. Bye. Bye. 
Rex Ellis is my guest this morning. Good morning again, Rex. You've got a book there and a, and a map. Tell me about the book. Well, yeah, the book. Um, What's the, it the called? Book, the, this book is a novel. It's called No Roads to Darwin, and it's full of lies, you know, because it's a novel. <laughs> and I had a lot of fun writing it, though. Yeah. Um, had a lot of fun. Um, it's, so it's, a, it's, 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 it's a novel. It's yeah. like it's a, yeah. you made it up. I made it up. From, but, from your experiences, I'll bet. Yeah, I used a lot of the background from my experiences, um, but it's got an Italian connection. And the names have been changed to protect the innocent, have yeah, they? Yeah, all that. <laughs> yeah, the mafia, they're there. Um, wow. There's others there I call uh, Monte Bello Chemicals, but uh, just for my reasons of um, <laughs> continuity. Yeah. And um, there's an environmental theme. A little bit of sex in there as well, you know. We're going to need a bit of that, yeah. of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, well, I reckon they make a good miniseries, uh, Ian, actually. I was, you know, I was thinking, I was uh, up the other night watching a, um, a DVD and it finished and the TV came back onto TV and, and it was, I forget where it was, it might have been on SBS or something, it just came back and and there was a, um, there was a film on about Turner, the great English painter. You know, Turner? I don't know much about him. No. My sister would because she's into art and teaching and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. But it was just fascinating. And I thought, why don't we in Australia make stuff like... We don't seem to do that. I mean, we could make a... Why don't we do a big film about Tom Roberts or myriad of the painters we do? Mm. We don't seem to tell our stories very well on film, do we? Oh. I mean, you're talking about your book. Yeah. Maybe it could be a miniseries. Yeah, I mean, it's just untapped, you know, uh, for Aussie films and yeah. TV series. Look at the stuff you do. Book. Look at the yeah. stuff you do and your adventures down the Warburton and, um, you know, the Diamantina and everywhere and just yeah. getting stuck here and there and the people you've met and all those. So there's a great story there. Rick. You'd never run out of stories in Australia, no. you know, especially in the bush. Oh, yeah, and people are, people love it. They're fascinated mm. by it, you know. Mm. And the Ridgy Ditch stuff, not sort of touristy stuff, but just, you know, just, you know, the people who ring here, you know, when I when I listen to Nugget from Hilston Cotton, Cotton, or um, you know, the sort of things that a city, young city, heading to Byron Bay, he's only fifteen, he's going to a surfing competition. Mm. I'm just fascinated by the people, you know. And Ollie was going to the Prospectors and Miners Association a meeting in Beaufort today because they apparently they want to close off large sections of the Golden Triangle to to people mm. who go gold prospecting. But I was talking to Rex about this during the news, They're, and this meeting's on in Beaufort today to protest the closing of them. But see, some people spoil it for everybody, don't they? Um, apparently people go out collecting wood, and I don't think you can do that sort of thing in, in sort of national parks and those sort of areas. It just doesn't seem right to me. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with people prospecting for gold in fact i wouldn't mind doing it myself you know if i had a if i could afford a gold gold detector a metal yeah, detector yeah. if you know what i mean it right? gives so many people a, a great reason to get out in the bush you know and yeah. they're, they're not doing any harm no but i'm not sure that collecting firewood just willy-nilly is a good idea because it's where your little animals live and lizards and snakes yeah. and all those little bugs and stuff and it's part of the chain isn't it yeah dead wood dead wood's as important as live wood yeah you know? exactly um, should be able to grow firewood. But anyway, that's a story for another day. So the book's called... No Roads to Darwin. That's the only novel. I might, I might be a one novel wonder, Ian. I've, I've been, that's, that's we could turn it into a musical, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what they usually do after it. Yeah, go on. Yeah, that'll be... Yeah, I don't know about a musical with that one. But, um, but yeah, I, I've been trying to write another novel. I mean, I've written other books. Um, 
you know, non-fiction. But um, I've been trying to get another novel around a night parrot, you know, for some wealthy German industri- uh, avoriculturalist, you know, mm. billionaire. But I'm just having a lot of trouble getting it together, you know. <laughs> Need a, need a few more sleepless nights, probably. Mm. But may not happen. That's a great story too, isn't it? The night yeah. parrot. Oh yeah, yeah. The night. But you, have you seen them? Yeah. Well, that's my greatest ornithological regret. You know, 1979, we had a camel expedition in the Cooper, and we had Shane Parker, like the curator of birds from the SA Museum, with us. Englishman with his complete with his white pith helmet, and he saw them. And um, I was walking into the sun trying to find a camp, leading the camels and. I just heard this sort of a strangulated croak and I looked back and and I saw his face and it was going whiter than his pith helmet and so and he was a very articulate bloke and he was inarticulate, you know, he could just say night parrot, night parrot. And I was in no doubt that he'd well for a minute there I thought perhaps he's it's it's wishful thinking, you know, because he's out there looking for them. Mm. But um it he was fair income and other people have seen them there were four. But because um, he was a stickler, stickler for, I mean, he's a professional ornithologist and he didn't actually have a photograph of them or have them in the hand, you know. So he never, he never got around to writing it up officially. So that was never an official, it's often mentioned, but it was never an official record. Which when was that, 79, did you say? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and, and he, uh, his name was again? Shane Parker. Shane Parker. Mm. Curator of Birds at the SA Museum. And we, if it wasn't for the camels, we wouldn't have found them. We were, you know, just going through a herbage called bassia, uh. and camels they love to pick out on that stuff, and they put their heads down, break their nose lines, and so you got all these camels' mouths and feet going through this stuff, and that's what put them up. Okay, Rex, do you drink coffee? I do. You do, yeah, like everybody else. Yeah, I've got Actually, a... I'm a coffee snob. Are you? Yeah, I admit to that. Yeah. What what what's your favourite uh, tipple? You into a turmeric latte or something? Uh, like are they good? Are they? <laughs> yeah. Is that a I'm... coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Probably better well, for you. Apparently, it is a coffee. Yeah, but mm. no, I haven't had one. But look, whenever I see people who who make coffee or have a coffee shop, I talk to them because it is. Um, come and meet uh, Murray Wilcock, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two. That is our number. Come and meet. Uh, Michael Wilcock. I'm talking to Michael Wilcock. How are you, Michael? Yeah, really good. You're another one of the thousands, many thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people who are employed in the coffee business yeah. in Australia. Many hundreds of thousands, I'd say. Well, how did you get into involved in coffee? I kind of fell into it, really. I You saw an opportunity. I mean, the coffee... No, 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 no. My father saw an opportunity. He bought me a coffee van back in 99 an old Bedford ice cream van that had been converted into a coffee van. He'd befriended someone in Mascot, that Mascot Botany sort of area. He bought the van for me, and I bought the business, if you like. Started selling coffee around Mascot and Botany, domestic international airport sort of area, out of the back of a van, back when no one else was doing it. What had you done before that? Was this just another, you're looking for a... Yeah, I'd worked in Japan behind bars. So the van kicked off and you saw yeah, this, the van, this the van is a off. We, way we, to go. Yeah, we ended up having three vans that did mascot botany and surrounding areas, uh, sort of between 99 and 2005, 2006. Uh, sold them in 2006. I was given an opportunity by a competitor. They bought me out and then I fell into a different line of coffee. And now I'm in a completely different line of coffee again. So it just evolves. Well, everywhere you see coffee shops opening, some closing, of course. Oh, but- I think you're right. Every other coffee shop is actually making money. Like, they're not all making money. They simply can't be. 
particularly in sort of the concentrated Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane areas. I know a lot of people in the country that are doing very, very well. I know people that have left Sydney and gone to Orange in particular a decade ago now, and he's doing exceptionally well. One of the first from, from Sydney to take sort of that coffee culture into Orange. I walk past your little place here and you're putting in a new machine, and that's yeah, mostly yeah, Italian, but this correct. is, this is yeah, an American. American. Yeah, it comes out of Seattle. Mm. which typically is um, the coffee capital of the US. And Americans are known for their awful coffee. They are known for their awful coffee, um, but fantastic machinery. Yeah, Apparently their cars are great too, but, you know. Um, <laughs> and you've become, I can tell by talking to you, you've become a coffee person, haven't you? Whereas yeah, you grew uh, up and you weren't a coffee no, person. not at all. No, no, I didn't even know what a cup of coffee was back in 1998. Now of, you eat and breathe and live coffee. Mm, yeah, it would seem so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And is that good? Have you enjoy that? Is have, it a good yeah, business yeah, to be in? Is it competitive? Or? It's competitive. Well, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of good coffee just just outside the door. A lot of good coffee everywhere, isn't yeah, there? Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. bad coffee still. Yes. <laughs> yes. A lot of bad coffee. Yeah. And it's not hard to make a good cup of coffee. It really isn't. It surprises me how many people screw it up. But like anything, you've got to be dedicated to it and have a passion for it, and you'll make it well. If you don't care about it, then the rock's going to be. You're not going to care about it. It goes goes for anything in life, doesn't it? Really. I'm just amazed how it's sort of taken off, this coffee thing. I mean, everybody used to have a cup of tea, I suppose, in the morning, but yeah, but I now it seems nobody, just nobody can start the day without a cup of coffee. Which it, it's true, and I think it's more of a ritualistic thing where people, you know, the actual effects of caffeine on you, I think are less than the ritualistic idea of I've got to wake up, I've got to have a shower, I've got to go and get a cup of coffee and go to work. It's a part of our habit. Whether it chemically makes us wake up more, I think that's a little bit... I don't know. How many cups do you reckon you've made? Oh, in the vans we'd do, you know, two or three hundred a day. Here we'd do six hundred, seven hundred, so sort of, you know, this is a busy spot. But this is only one of thousands. Absolutely, absolutely. How much coffee are we drinking? It's unbelievable. It is, it is. is. I mean, this is, yeah, this would be replicated almost on every street corner in Sydney. In Melbourne, Brisbane, yeah. I mean, the numbers would be staggering, wouldn't they, if we could get them? How many cups are being drunk on on a Monday morning? Let's find out. (laughs) Uh, Michael, tell me about growing up in Japan. What was that like? Oh, awesome. The best thing I could have ever done. I was six, 16, 17. You obviously speak Japanese. Yeah, yeah I speak Japanese. Um, learned over there, obviously. Um, left school and went to Japan. Not really. I didn't really fit into school here. Yeah, went across to Japan, learned, learned Japanese, fell into hospitality simply because that's, I mean, they're the jobs that you get, right, when you're, when you're young. Being hospitable, looking after guests and integrity, all those sorts of values that you just, you know, that just rammed home. So that made the man, did it, growing up there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, I spent from 16 to the best part of a decade. And I suppose there's lots of countries still that haven't adapted to the coffee culture and it's like the brave New York. We can go there, we can go to, you know, we can go to China, look at China. Oh, look, um, absolutely, there's so much potential out there. I was in Egypt earlier this year, which was amazing. What a wonderful place it is and completely not what I expected from, dare I say, a Middle Eastern country. Warm, hospitable, etc. But coffee, no, forget that. But aren't they known for that really thick, like, Turkish coffee? absolutely, absolutely. And that's where I think you've got to look at when you travel to different countries. Their Turkish coffee was obviously better than ours because that's what they do. So don't expect to drink a good espresso or or a good, you know, flat white cappuccino because it's just just not going to happen. However, their local product, amazing. Mm. Japan, the same. I mean, they have a different method of brewing coffee and have done for decades and decades. But I think there's potential to take what we do here to other countries that understand it. If I'd opened this place that we have here in the ABC 15 years ago in Japan, no one would understand it. 
people wouldn't even know what to order. Now, Starbucks have infiltrated Japan hand over fist, along with their competitor, Seattle's Best. On every street corner, you see a Seattle's Best or a Starbucks. Now, they're slowly starting to, not so much close, but I think their growth has been staggered because people, they've educated the public. That's great. So they've spent billions of dollars teaching the Japanese, well, this is what you purchase. This is the product. Now it's time for us to go in and actually show them how it's done right. Australia leading the world. Michael, great, Absolutely. To, <laughs> great to talk to you. Good on you. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. That's Michael, Michael Wilcock. We do, we lead the world. Unbelievable. Nothing's more important to Australians than coffee, it seems to me. We go around the world and say, oh, the coffee in New York was terrible. Oh, the coffee in Paris was disgusting. Oh, the coffee in Italy. Uh, and my guest this morning is Rex Ellis, who will be my occasional guest all morning, uh, dropping in and out of the program. And Rex said quite, you know, commonly, Kelly said that... Why doesn't why aren't you inundated here with coffee from all the coffee shops that are around the place? Just bringing us cups of coffee to drink all morning, but doesn't happen. Rex just doesn't happen. They can't get in. They're not allowed in. They can't get past the tick gates. If you know what I mean. Oh, security. Yeah, yeah security. Mm-hmm. Um, Rex, I'll continue talking to you about all sorts of things. Um, I want to talk to you about salt lakes because we've got a proliferation of lovely, wonderful salt lakes. Mm. Um, the biggest and best, of course, is Lake Eyre when it's a salt lake, but it, at the moment it's got water in it. Yeah, a fair bit of water in Lake Erie at the moment. Yeah, mm. yeah, we've got the most pristine salt lakes in the world, you know, and they're really undervalued. Uh, they're not very well known. And um, uh, and a mate and I, I've got a bit of a project with BirdLife Australia. We're walking across various salt lakes, or trying to walk across them. Sometimes we're we're successful, not always. Mm. And uh, because it's a pretty dumb thing to do, but you've got to do dumb things to sort of get the publicity to raise money for birds, you yeah. know. I mean, Aussies are very generous when it comes to raising money for a lot of our ills, you know, yeah. often man-made. Yeah. But when it comes to raising money for our wildlife, we're the miserable mob of bastards that you can poke a stick at. And so so we're walking across these salt lakes, and it's not all bad. It's, a, it's good fun, often. Um, but... Often when you're up to there in mud and, you know, you think, well, this is stupid, and it is, and then you've got to back up, back off and and retrace your tracks, and it's often further than walking right across them. My favourite one is uh, we were on our way to Woomera some years ago, and we passed at Lake Gairdner, uh, which I saw off in the distance, off in the distance, and it looked just spectacular. Yeah, well, like, you probably saw an island lagoon, yeah. you know, near Lake Gardner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gardner. Well, we say it. in South Australia, Ian, we say Lake Gardner. But see, in South yeah. Australia, you say all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> you say, what's the name of that street? Goodner Street. Uh, uh, is it Goodner or and spelt Gucha or Gucha or uh, what? Gucha, 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 and it's spelt Gouger and yeah. all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. ridiculous. There's no yeah. to be something. South, South Australians are different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Popel's Corner, or it's Popel. actually it's a German word because he was German. I think it would be pronounced by the Germans purple, purple. Um, well, I say popples, popples. Yeah. Well, there we go. All right, we'll talk uh, more with Rex in a minute. But look, you give us a ring wherever you are. Thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two. Love to talk to you. Uh, good morning, Gulliver. It's, uh, uh, a roll of sandpaper went. Didn't you hear this? Kill a roll of sandpaper went into the um, went into a bar. And he says, oh, give us a drink. He's, and the barman says, what do you have? He says, oh, I don't care. Anything, just something to take the edge off. <laughs> Took a while. Well, the kookaburra's laughing. 
No, I mean, really. <laughs> I'd be good company on a trip across the desert. I've got a lot of those, Rex. Um, <laughs> Burktown, this is from um, N. Pearl. Does it say N. Pearl? That's all it says, N. Pearl. Don't you love emails? Never, it's not... They often don't give their name or where they're from. But anyway, Burktown was the place to be last Saturday night. Let's... Um, last Saturday night, a magical atmosphere was created for the biennial Order of the Outback Ball for the announcement. Don't just throw bits of paper at me, Nerida, please. Um, for the announcement of the award recipient for 2018, uh, Jonathan Thurston, rugby league legend and advocate for Indigenous youth. MC was Tanya Kernigan. She sang a couple of songs and kept the night flowing, uh, together with entertainment from Mount Isa's Bulldust Band. Member for Traeger, Robbie Catter, was there. And... Um, a great night was had by all. The big bash is on at Birdsville. Have you ever been to that, Rex? No, I had the pub there for six years, but they didn't have bashes then. No, so. no, things have changed. G'day, this is Macca. Yeah, Macca, it's Mark speaking. G'day, Mark. You know, yeah, I'm on the way to Hay with a load of hay. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like that? Um, yeah, good. From where? Uh, well, I was, I was going to say Shepherd, but I'll say Coomboona. Coomburner, yeah. Yeah, it's just out of Shepparton and uh, Marupna. Um, yeah, there's a big dairy farm there that Jerry Harvey bought. Um, you know, so uh, that's a great call to fame for Coomburner. <laughs> and Nirundira. Yeah, and what do you? You got a what is it? A B double or something? Is uh, it? No, I've just got a, a Volvo, an old N12 Volvo, um, with the trailer on the back, and uh, I've got uh, uh, 32 rolls of really top quality oatmeal that I'm taking up to a sheep farmer up here. This is the second load I've brought up for him and um, it's hardly worth the big drive but um, the hay's good so he's pretty happy and yeah, I'm pretty tired but I'm getting there. He's uh, he's very dry out there at hay, is he? Oh, very dry. There's only a very green tinge on the side of the roads and a few kangaroos having a pick and, and that's about it. And a bit of a side wind holding me back a bit. Yeah, there's a bit of wind around, uh, Marky. Yeah, there is. I, I was just saying, you're going to go to the snow. I've uh, Just a bit of interest for you. I've got a mate. His name's Barry Iddles, right? Yeah. His brother's uh, our great homicide detective, uh, Ron Iddles. Yeah. They're twins, and he runs the Elks restaurant at Falls Creek. Right. So if you go to Falls Creek, go and see Barry Hiddles. All right. He's well known and he's, uh, he's got a, um, another uh, re- reception restaurant at um, Queenscliff called 360Q. Yeah, but he's a great bloke like his brother Ron. They're twins, so they're quite diverse, aren't they? Well, so, Mark, how long have you been driving a truck? Oh, uh, a long time. I'm a farmer, but I cart a bit of hay as well. So, um, yeah, that's sort of... I want to stop doing it, but everyone wants hay, so I've got to keep going. Yeah, that's... The bloke said the other week, you know, he said this, the, the trucks are out here... The hay trucks are out here touching one another. That's... Uh... Yep, yep, they are. So I've been taking it to... Oh, well, table time. I try not to go too far, but I go to, like, sort of Aubrey, Dedarang, nearly to Bright, you know, mm. um, down to Mansfield... Uh, you know, sort of cover the whole Golden Valley and uh, north of it, either way. So you're nearly at hay now, are you? Yeah, Mark? yeah, about probably about forty k out of hay. I uh, wish I was with you in the truck. Yeah, have a good old yarn. Be good. Yeah, no worries. All right, great to talk to you. Great to listen to you, Macca. Good on you, Mark. Yeah, cheers, mate. See you, mate. What a yeah, great bye. 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 What a great voice. Oh, g'day, Macca. This is Tommy, mate. How are you? Good, thanks, Tom. What's happening? Mate, a bit of a dream to get through and have a yarn to you, mate. I'm, I've got the swags in the back, got the little motorbike and the two kids and, mate, uh, heading out to Narromine for a, for a week or so. Oh, how good is that, Tommy? 
Um, yeah. So this is school holds, right? Yeah, school holidays, mate. I'll tell you, it was interesting, the conversation around the drop-off for the last day of school. There were kids going to Europe and, you know, going to Paris and going over to America, New York, and they said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Narromine, mate. Good on you. The beautiful Bogan River. I love it out there. What, are you going to do some fishing or what? Mate, we'll do a bit of fishing. We've got, we've got a good family mate out there, a bloke called Jeremy Gill, beautiful bloke. Um, we'll, we'll stay with him, mate, and we'll do some uh, mustering tomorrow. Bit of fencing on Tuesday. I'll take the kids down to the observatory at Park there on the Wednesday and watch my beautiful Queenslanders hopefully have a win Wednesday night before heading back here, mate, into the big smoke. All right. Well, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm a bit over the state of oranges, uh, Tommy. Um, I'm in. I'm. <laughs> I mean, it's it's good. Do you know what I miss about football? Because I grew up in a different time, and when I was a kid, the big thing was when we played England in rugby league. And the Poms would come out, and they were big, and they were tough. You think that you ever look around there? There was blokes like Brian McTeague and Vince Coralius and Derek Turner and Alex Murphy, and they were just legends. And they put fear into the heart of Australians, and certainly into the rugby league players. And they were, and I think there's something we're missing in rugby league with with that competition with with England. You know, not that you hate them, but they were just they were just very very good, and we knew we were in for a battle. Um, so I, I wish that would come back to rugby league because um, as much as I like State of Origin, it's lovely to see wonderful tries and it's great. But, um, yeah, it'd be nice if we – because there's some great Pommy players, some, some rippers, mate. Mate, they're sure are. Right? My young bloke in the back here, he's good. There actually is a fellow called Neil Pringle that you might remember from – From Balmain. Oh, what a yeah, good player. Yeah, yes, yes, that's what they used to say. He, he used to run decoys off Ciro and that, yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> mate, so I've got to meet a lot of those uh, those old greats, and you're right. I mean, I was only at the SCG the other night from the Swans game, and there was 35,000 there. Now, mate, you'd be struggling to get 35,000 to a semi-final game with the rugby league. It, it really has gone downhill. It's a bit of a shame, really. Yeah, in lots of ways it is. Um, uh, but um, yeah, I think I hope that's uh, I hope that increases. Now, listen, Tommy, you're taking the kids out. I think I've got a couple of little. They're sort of grandkids. They're not really grandkids, but I, I treat them as me little grandkids. And I just want to take them out. I just want to because when I was a kid again, I did what you did, and I went out to the bush and to a farm, and it never left me, Tom. It never left me, and I just think it's a great experience. And and you're right, they're all going off to aren't they? Going off to Aspen and and the skiing in Japan and all that sort of stuff. But you're oh, going mate, out. It, you're going it, out yeah, to the bargain. Yeah, you're right, mate. Look, I, I grew up on the Gold Coast, Churgan. I'm a mad surfer. I absolutely love the ocean, but I've always been drawn to the bush. And, and my grandmother, she turned 100 uh, like a couple of months ago, so I did a fair bit of research for her for, her, for the speech that I made and the presentation and stuff. And what I discovered, mate, was all of my rallies, all my ancestors, they're all from the bush. Um, the great-great-grandfather, he set up Rochester down there near Mansfield. It was originally called Rose Camp. Um, a beautiful man, and uh, and he he was down there, and then he ended up out in Walgett and Condoblin and Parks and managing all these properties in the late 1800s. And for the first time in my life, mate, I travel out here all the time for work, and for the first time in my life, I felt like I understood why I'm connected to the bush, mate. Like I grew up listening to you um, on a Sunday morning, and and just the sound of the birds, oh. Really gets me emotional, mate. It's bloody beautiful. I think, Tom, it must be in your genes, I reckon, mate. 
Mate, it is in my jeans. I'm wearing, I'm wearing corduroys this morning, but I think it must be in my jeans, mate. It is. It's in my blood, mate. It certainly is. All right. Well, good luck. The kids will love that, mate. They're fencing and a few sheep and a, the odd kangaroo will be around the place. Good on you, Tommy. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mac. Great to talk with you, mate. Yeah, you too.